everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempe, and I'm so glad you're here today. A big welcome to everyone. Our audience is really growing, and of course, the news is loaded now with so much information about screens and teenagers and depression and anxiety and all these things that we have been talking about for so many years, I think are just really becoming forefront in our culture. Like we're, we can't ignore this anymore. So I have to just tell you about a little conversation I had last month with a mom who I think it was 20 minutes she spent talking to me about her daughter's obsession with TikTok before I could even get a word in. She was just so upset about what was happening with her daughter. And I'm listening and I'm listening and she's explaining that she thought the videos, the TikTok videos were really cute at first. And she kept saying, Melanie, you know, it's no different than when we were growing up and we would make up little dances. And it's just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And listened and I listened and she kept talking and she said, but there's just something that's not right. She, she's getting so obsessed with it. And I thought it was harmless, but you know, now I'm getting more confused because it seems like these dances are not really cute anymore. They're, they're sort of, and she was so scared to say the word, but she said the word sexual and her daughter was 13 and she was so torn because she was trying to use logic in this parenting decision. She wanted her, her daughter to be happy and she's just trying to sort it out. Like what's happening? Like, you know, I thought it was okay, but now something about it isn't okay. So I asked her two questions that just popped in my mind when I was having this discussion. Cause sometimes, you know, you just can't, you just do so much better when you're talking to people, <laughs> when you're starting to think about solutions for people. And, you know, I said, well, I have two questions for you. The first one is, is TikTok taking more than it's giving to your daughter right now? And she got really quiet and, and she really got teary. And she said, yeah, it's taking something away from her. And I said, it's probably, you feel like it's probably taking her innocence away. And that's, that's where we got there with that. And then the other question I asked her, I said, do you feel like it's making your daughter more mature or less mature? And that was another really strong point for her, just a real sticking point. She was like, you know what, you're right. It's not making her more mature. She's not progressing socially. It's like she's stuck in this weird place. And so it was really, really good to have this conversation with her. It was so good just to talk it out. And if you're listening today and you're struggling with social media in general, or even just TikTok, since you're probably listening because you see that the title of this topic today for our show is TikTok. If you're struggling with this, try to get a friend to talk and just verbalize. And I mean, you can call me if you want. I'm fine. As long as I have time, I will talk to anybody. But it's really important for parents to hear themselves have this discussion with like another mom and process it because it is tricky. We think part of it is good, so it must be okay. And I will just tell you that Anything out there in life that is is not good is, you know, never a hundred percent bad, right? There's there's always a certain percentage of it that is okay. And you know, bullies don't run around in t-shirts that say I'm a bully either. So we have to be 
very wise and our children are not wise yet. As our guest today will say that our kids are not adults. This is a wonderful thing to keep remembering as you're parenting and as you're raising your kids through this world of social media and especially TikTok. So I just want to say that as I was having this discussion with this gal last month, and we had a follow-up and she was able to, actually, she got her daughter off TikTok for a month. It's been a month. I need to check with her and see how it's going. But lo and behold, my good friend, Leonard Sachs, Dr. Sachs, wrote an article on TikTok. So I'm like, oh my goodness, I have to reach out. And I did. And we are so excited to have Dr. Sachs on our show today because he is going to, in just such a short period of time, help you understand so much more about TikTok than you already know. Dr. Sachs is a physician. He's an author. He's a wonderful speaker and one of our favorite experts. And he has been a friend of mine for a number of years. And I owe much of my aha moments to Dr. Sachs. And I think I'm one of, if not his biggest fan, and I keep his books handy. As you know, I refer to them all the time and they're handy on the, I call it the bottom shelf of my bookcase, the, the, the shelf I can reach really easily. I can just turn around from my desk and pull his books off. And some of our favorites are The Collapse of Parenting, Boys Adrift, and Girls on the Edge. And just yesterday, I was talking to a mom that told me, oh my goodness, Boys Adrift, it changed my life. I have three boys. And we started getting this wonderful conversation about that. And then Girls on the Edge, these books are all mentioned in our parent course. And we quote him a lot in our new online parent course that I want y'all to look at too. So welcome back, Dr. Sachs. We're so happy you're here with us today. Thanks for inviting me. So you have been busy changing families, and today we're going to talk about your TikTok article. And I want to hear, first of all, how did you decide to write it? How did you get interested in TikTok? I mean, obviously, you know, it's like one of the most popular, if not, isn't it the most down or popular apps right now? Yes. Uh, TikTok is the most popular app uh, nationwide and worldwide. It is also the most uh, visited website. Google is number two. Uh, Facebook is number three, but TikTok is the number one most visited website in the United States and worldwide. All right. You're saying that TikTok is more visited than Google? Yes. That's how huge it is. That's just blowing my mind. I can't, I can't get my head around that. I did not know that. I mean, I knew, okay, I knew it was super popular, but uh, that is unbelievable. Oh, I'm hearing so many stories uh, at the schools I visit where all the fourth graders are going into the bathroom to look at TikTok, and many of the teachers are as well. It's like this virus that has spread and has infect infected everybody, including the people we expect to be the enforcers, like the teachers are not enforcing because they're looking at TikTok while the kids are in the bathroom. Uh, so it has spread with an astonishing speed and penetration uh, to really every corner of society, urban, rural, black, white, affluent, low income, everyone is affected. It just crosses every aisle. And that's why it's so popular. I'm looking here at your article and, it, and it's 1 billion videos are uploaded every day. Is that right? Are viewed every day. The algorithm is driving the popularity. Most of your listeners, I imagine, have some familiarity with TikTok, and many adults, I find, 
think that it's just kind of a new version of Instagram. It's just a way of looking at funny, uh, cute videos. Yeah, like that mom I was talking to. That's how that's how she got into it. Yeah, with her daughter. And that's how it starts. When you sign up for TikTok, it'll ask you what are your interests, and then it'll show you some pretty generic videos that align with those interests. But it's the algorithm that makes it different because it's watching what you do. So talk about that. How does the algorithm work? So it's looking to see how long you watch the video. Do you watch it again? Do you watch certain parts of it again? What videos do you skip? What videos do you choose? And within about an hour's time, or less sometimes, sometimes within just a few minutes, but certainly after an hour of gathering this information, it is now serving you up much more customized videos. And so many teens have said things like, TikTok knows me better than I know myself. TikTok knew I was bisexual before I did. It's showing you exactly the video that you would find most interesting. And it is immensely addictive in a way that Instagram and YouTube never, never were, never could be. And when I speak to parents about this, I often use the analogy of alcohol. Suppose that the human race had evolved and developed and matured without ever anyone ever discovering alcoholic beverages. And then suddenly, 10 years ago, somebody figured out how to make beer and then wine and then whiskey. And in the course of 10 years, we got this explosion of alcoholic beverages. And people were like, wow, this is great. It tastes great. And it makes me feel different. And I really like the way it makes me feel. And it helps me to relax. And I feel like I'm really myself uh, only after I have a couple glasses of wine. It's, it's the real me. How long would it take us to figure out? that maybe 15-year-olds should not be drinking alcoholic <laughs> beverages. I don't think we'd figure it out immediately because they'd say, this is what I want. This is what I really want. This makes me feel so good. And again, American parents today, a refrain I often hear from American parents is, I just want her to be happy. Yeah. I just want her to be happy. Is it, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with that is that if what makes her happy is toxic, then it's your job as the parent to step in. That's pretty basic, but many American parents now don't get it. Hence the title of my book, The Collapse of Parenting. Because mm -hmm. so many American parents now see it that it's their job, you know, to help my kid to be happy. I just want her to be happy. What's wrong with that? And we have this, we have something really new. TikTok is to Instagram what heroin is to a candy bar. Wow. It's, it's a, it's a game changer. It's something profoundly different. And we have nothing in our history to deal with this. Again, we're like the human race dealing with alcoholic beverages for the first time. We're mm -hmm. dealing with an addictive behavior that has no precedent that, that we have no idea how to grapple with or to figure out who should be on this. And, Good scholars like Gene Twenge, with whom I'm often in contact, are saying kids should not be on this. Hmm. This is really toxic. Gene Twenge has suggested no kid under 16 should be on TikTok. Mm -hmm. And we can argue about the age, whether it should be 16 or 18. But clearly, 12-year-olds should not be on TikTok. No. And yet parents don't understand. And they might 
uh, say, uh, hey, honey, I'm thinking maybe you shouldn't be on TikTok. And their daughter, their 12-year-old daughter explodes and says, all the other girls are on it, which happens to be true. All the other girls are on it. Yeah. And it takes great courage for an American parent to say, even though all the other girls are on it, you're not going to be. Right. That takes real courage. And inspiring parents with that courage is, is the mission of my book, The Collapse of Parenting. You don't want to be an American parent, the typical American parent, because the typical American kid increasingly is a girl who's anxious and depressed yeah. or a boy who's sitting in his bedroom looking at a screen. Yeah. Uh, you don't want your kid to end up like that. I mean, just last week, the New York Times had a, a front page article on this explosion in the proportion of American teens who are anxious, depressed, or disengaged. And the title of the article was, it's a matter of life and death. Yeah. Uh, because we're seeing uh, rapid rise, tripling in the suicide rate among American girls since 2009, more than tripling in uh, kids, in girls coming to the emergency room, having slashed their upper inner thigh and oh. other non-suicidal self-injury. Uh, what we're doing right now as American parents is not working. Yeah. We've got more than 40% of American teens saying they feel hopeless. Uh, the results are, in many ways, uncannily similar to what might happen if you let 15-year-olds have unlimited access to alcohol. They feel great when they're doing it, but there's a downside. There's yeah. a hangover. And in the case of social media, that downside is anxiety, depression, and disengagement. We're now getting the data. But parents don't know it, they are confused, they're disoriented, and their kids are immersed in a culture where all the kids are on TikTok, so why shouldn't they be? Back to just the, the brain science around it a little bit, TikTok doesn't require sustained attention, really, because it's this ever-changing thing, this ever-changing environment. So our kids are practicing not only all this feel good stuff that's happening, even though this is part of it, it's this ever changing environment. Every few seconds, these videos are going and, you know, watching a video, uh, Dr. Sachs is very different than looking at a photo or reading something, right? It takes it to a whole nother level in their brain. And so their kid, your kid's brain becomes accustomed to this constant change and, and it's and it's harder to adapt than to like non-digital activity when things aren't moving as fast. Does that make sense? Well, one of the points I make is that uh, you look at the most popular YouTube videos, the average length is about 11 minutes. Uh, you look at the most popular uh, TikTok videos, the average length is less than 20 seconds. Wow. So comparison, yeah. the difference between, you know, a YouTube video is like a Ken Burns documentary uh, <laughs> compared to a TikTok video. It programs a short attention span. And again, parents don't get it. Parents are like, well, my kid likes to watch uh, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. You know, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. Huge difference. TikTok, mm -hmm. as I said, is a game changer. It is much more toxic than other social media. And it does. I, I love what you just said. It programs that short attention span. We do not need to program the short attention span. We need to program the long attention span because that's what you have to have to learn. And I would imagine it's directly affecting 
grades and ability to sit and be interested in topics at school. We, we don't know that yet. Uh, the problem is that YouTube, uh, that TikTok is so new yeah. uh, that we don't have good scholarly work yet comparing. So we need studies where uh, scholars look at kids from the same neighborhood, same demographic, some of whom are spending three hours a day on TikTok, some of whom are not on TikTok at all, and looking to see over time, how does that kid who joins TikTok, uh, how does that affect their school performance compared to the kid who is spending a comparable length of time on other social media? Scholars are beginning to draft such studies. We're nowhere near getting mm -hmm. those studies yet. It'll be years most right. likely before we do. So this comes up to another point that I have always dealt with as a family doctor, which is making recommendations in the face of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So if a parent says, okay, Dr. Sachs, I see that you're concerned about TikTok. Show me a peer-reviewed study that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that TikTok will have these negative effects that you mm -hmm. are concerned about. No such study exists. Mm -hmm. So the a parent can then say, well, you know, there's, uh, that's what you think. That's your opinion. But the, the evidence isn't in yet. So I've been a medical doctor now for 36 years. I'm old enough to remember back in the late 80s and early 90s, back when people said cigarette smoking is, is dangerous, but the cigarette industry claimed it wasn't. As recently as 30 years ago, the cigarette industry had PhDs testifying before Congress saying, well, uh, uh, some people who never smoke get lung cancer, and some people who smoke two packs a day for 50 years don't get lung cancer. So there may be an association, but we're not at all convinced that that is causal. It's merely a an association. Uh, uh, but as a family doctor, I was advising smokers 30 years ago, you got to quit smoking. Yeah. <laughs> and, and some smokers would say, yeah, but the, this PhD says that it's not really that cigarette smoking, it doesn't cause uh, emphysema or lung cancer, that it's just an association. Mm -hmm. And I would advise that patient, yeah, I agree. The evidence is not 100%. But if you wait until it's 100%, you could be waiting too long. Yeah, it's going to be too uh, late. Done the damage. There's sufficient evidence now. Uh, that we can say it is very likely that this is going to be harmful and you need to act on that information without waiting for all the experts to agree that there is no shadow of a doubt. And it's even more urgent now for parents with regard to TikTok. There is sufficient evidence with this explosion in anxiety, depression, and disengagement that we are seeing, that is well documented across every demographic of American children and teenagers. Uh, when did this start? Well, it started around 2010 with, tick, with uh, Instagram. It's gotten much worse. There is no taper in the rise of uh, that, that, that rise in anxiety and depression. That slope is getting steeper rather than more shallow. And the evidence is very compelling that uh, TikTok and other social media are to blame. So we have sufficient evidence that parents, you need to act now. If you wait until we all the experts agree, your kid's going to be grown up. And as you pointed out, Melanie, on many occasions, those years around puberty and right after puberty are so important. That's when the brain is beginning to prune those neurons. And the way the brain reshapes itself is governed by what kids are doing in their free time. You don't want your kid looking at TikTok 
in their free time where they're literally poisoning their own brain. And that damage may be difficult to undo. The stakes are immensely high. The evidence is clear. It is not 100%. There are experts who are still saying, well, it's just an association. Maybe there are other factors in play. Maybe kids who spend a lot of time on social media have other issues that are actually driving the anxiety and depression. Parents, you need to act now because Mm -hmm. there's too much at stake. uh, And... uh, this is your job. It is not reasonable to put this burden in the lap of your child. What is yeah. your 12-year-old supposed to say when your friend says, hey, uh, did you see that amazing video on TikTok? Is your friend supposed to say, well, researchers have expressed concern that TikTok <laughs> may increase the risk of anxiety and depression. And for that reason, I choose <laughs> not to engage that app. Come on. What? No 12-year-old's going to talk like that. Yeah. You, you have to allow your 12-year-old to say, my evil parents don't let me have TikTok. You have to have the courage to be the evil parent, to say no. And, you know, that, that's what Screen Strong is all about. We are helping parents do that. We're giving them the words. We're giving them the information, the education. And, you know, honestly, honestly, we're giving them you and other experts that come on our show. Um, But what you just said about the window of opportunity is so critical for parents to understand that this is the championship game. You do not get to do it again. You get one chance. And I don't want to sound like I'm fear mongering here, but it is the truth. You get one shot. And I think a lot of kids are really suffering from this because parents, you know, obviously they don't mean to hurt their kids, but they're just not educated. The parents aren't educated. And we need people like you, Leonard. We need to get your book out there more and to get the screen strong message out there more to educate parents. One thing I want to cover next is the age of 13 is what TikTok I think has on their site as the recommended age. And I just want to say, um, I love that Jean Twenge also, you know, said, no, it should be much later. I know common sense media says it should be over 15, but you know, kids lie about their age. All right. We all know this. And I want you to talk about that in a second, but what I want to say about this age of 13, because I think this is really confusing for parents. I'm out here with my boots on the ground. I'm in the weeds with parents. I understand kind of where they're coming from. And 13, the age of 13 was set up for a completely different reason for social media. It it was set up for a privacy law Mm -hmm. relating to collecting data from children. It has nothing to do with the age, you know, the best age for the consumption of this type of content. So this age was set in 1998 before social media was even invented, right? Four years before Facebook, seven years before the iPhone It's called the COPA children's online privacy protection act, COPPA. And this was a law that determined that no online sites should collect data and personal information from children under the age of 13 without a parental parents' consent. So the law had nothing to do with what parents think it does today. I, I, I'm here, you're here with parents a lot. You're with parents a lot. You know that they think, well, it says 13. So they don't even think about what that means. It's not a movie rating. That's not what it is. It's that law was all about collecting personal data. And it's really frustrating for me, um, Leonard, to think that parents are using that because, and then not only that is, kids are lying about their age and parent, if you're out there and your, your child is, is under, I'm, I'm with, with you, Dr. Sachs, if they're under the age of 16, they shouldn't be on this thing. Well, and 
I encourage parents, if your kid's going to have unsupervised access to the Internet, if they're going to have a phone or a laptop that can access the Internet or an iPad, and you're not looking over their shoulder every second that they're on it, which for most of us is not going to happen because we've got our own lives no. to live, uh, you've got to install a parental monitoring app. Uh, that will limit what your kid is doing online. And a lot of parents have been suckered by the social media's uh, own promotion. So TikTok, for example, tells parents, hey, don't worry, you can do family pairing. So uh, mom, you get on TikTok, your daughter's on TikTok, you pair your accounts, and then you can see everything your daughter's doing and you can limit everything your daughter's doing. Okay, this is a complete hoax because your kid can create a different account. Uh, mm. She's got two accounts on TikTok, one that's paired to your account and one that you don't even know about that's a different username altogether. And, and it's very, very easy for any 11-year-old to do this. Uh, and then, the, then what parents say to me, they say, my daughter would do, never do that. My daughter <laughs> would never deceive me. You've got a, a great little, um, on your website, Melanie, you have your thing about... Uh, a spoiler, your child is not an angel. Yeah. I, th I think there's great insight there. It is not reasonable. It is not age appropriate to expect your child to be the paragon of virtue. If all of her friends are saying, hey, Emily, it's so simple. Just create another account and then your mom won't know about it. Again, how is your daughter supposed to respond to that? How is she supposed to say, well, I personally am a paragon of virtue, and therefore I would not <laughs> deceive my parent that way. It's not reasonable to expect your 12-year-old to stand yeah. up to the entire sixth grade and, and not do it when everybody else is doing it. I'm telling you, everyone else is doing it. Again, you have to allow your daughter to say, hey, my parents have installed this parental monitoring app on my device. They will see everything I do. And if I create a separate account, they'll know about it instantly. Because all these apps will instantly alert the parent to a new account being created on TikTok, and I'll lose the device. Uh, so you, the parent, again, you've got to understand what's going on here. TikTok family pairing is a joke. It is not the protection your kid needs. There is no substitute for you, the parent, knowing what your kid is doing. And besides that family pairing, what else? Doesn't TikTok have... Uh, something else that I don't think works very well either. They've got parental controls. They've got a junior version yes. uh, for kids under 13. Look, as Gene Twenge has pointed out many times, no 12-year-old wants the kiddie version of anything. They're <laughs> going to be really offended if you insist that they use the kiddie version. And they're going to find a way around it. Again, not necessarily because your kid desperately wants to do this, but all of her friends are doing it. Yeah. And, and if they say, hey, watch this... Uh, TikTok video, and she says, well, I can't because it's not available on the kitty version. You know, how much of a loser is she going to look like? It, she's She has to be able to say, I can't because my parents have blocked it, and I can't get around that. And again, the parental monitoring apps uh, uh, make it easy for you to do this. They The people who write the parental monitoring apps, they're on top of this. They know what the kids are up to. This is an arms race. And, and the parents are clueless and they don't realize all the ways that kids can easily evade uh, parents just looking over their shoulder. Yeah. And I, I agree that, um, you know, it is of course all about the parents and the parents have to know exactly what their kids are doing. And, and this is a bigger issue. This is more of an umbrella issue that parents um, want 
an app to do their job for them. And there's no app out there that can do a parent's job of protecting their kids. No, but the apps can help. The apps no, can, they help. can get can make a, an excuse. So you install an app that's uh, going to show you every picture your kid takes with their device. As soon as they take it, that picture goes to your laptop and your mobile phone. And there's so many 13-year-olds girls who are being pressured by a boy at school to send them some pictures mm -hmm. uh, to uh, they want to see in a story that I personally have shared with the girl's permission this girl's boyfriend uh, wanted her to send him some pictures of her taking her blouse and skirt off to reveal bra and panties so nothing obscene and therefore okay in the mind of these kids um, and so she feels she has to do this. And again, researchers at Northwestern ask these girls, why are you doing this? Uh, and the answer the girls give is that everybody else is doing it. How can they say no when all the other girls are doing it, when the most popular women on Instagram, women with more than 200 million followers, women like Kylie Jenner, uh, Kim Kardashian, that's all they, that's what they do. They share these photos, half-clothed, lingerie, uh, bikinis. The message of contemporary American culture is that that's what cool girls do, that you share these photos. And if you don't, you're a prude or you're a kindergartner. That's the message of contemporary American culture. It's immensely toxic for young girls. Well, how do you, how do you get around that? You have to allow your daughter to say, I can't do that because my parent will see that photo as soon as I take it before I even do anything with it. You have to allow your kid to blame you because the culture has become toxic. So if, if the parent is the coach in this scenario, then this parental controls are like your assistant coaches out there working with you okay. and working together with you for sure. So uh, we love parental controls. We think parental controls are great. However, we just want, of course, parents to know that you're still the coach, that you still have to do your job. And I think that what you, you hit it just earlier when we were just talking, that it's exhausting for parents to figure this out, to figure all the layers of the parental controls. And then I have a, a, a thought around this all the time. If we are allowing something that requires so many parental controls, maybe we need to think about delaying the access for a little bit longer. Um, like we don't have parental controls for Legos, right? Or for playing outside. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a good thing. And it's kind of a good way to look at what you might allow on your negotiable list and your non-negotiable list. We sort of help parents figure out, okay, here's the list we'll, we'll negotiate on. And here's the list that we're really not going to negotiate on. And you've got to figure out what your bandwidth is. If you have one child and you don't have a job and you have a lot of extra time to peruse what they're doing and understand what's going into their little minds and then you can parent around that, that's great. But most parents don't have that that luxury. So I absolutely agree that these parental controls are our assistant coaches out there helping us and working with us, but we still have to look at the big picture. And what I want to talk about, Leonard, is, is in your article, you, and you just touched on it, and I just want to unpack this a little bit more, that girls who post videos on TikTok discover very quickly that their online popularity is linked to their sexuality. So for a mom out there listening, a dad out there listening, who just has this most precious daughter, she's 10, 11, 12, she just turned 13, and then bam, all of a sudden they figure out what she's doing. What 
Can you get into the mind of that 13 year old and help us understand what possesses a girl to do that? You just said peer pressure for sure. Well, girl, girls are competitive and okay. boys are competitive. Girls and boys are both competitive, but they're competitive in different ways. And if, uh, you're a girl, you're on TikTok, you're posting some things on TikTok and you got uh, 100 views and 10 likes and your friend at school got 10,000 views and 1,000 and likes, you know, that's going to be like, well, hmm. Make you think. Uh, yeah. Uh, how'd she do that? And girls figure out very quickly that a sexual video or a uh, video that just has a little edge to it uh, suddenly you're getting 50,000 views, 100,000 views, and people are looking up to you. Every human likes to be admired by their peers. And this is true of 13-year-old girls, no less than it's true of the rest of us. Uh, but the 13-year-old girl figures out that, hey, if I make that dance a little more uh, edgy, if I wear something that's a little more re revealing, I can go from a thousand views to a hundred thousand views. Hmm. And, and as I said, girls are competitive. So they're, they're, the term psychologists use is instrumental. They're using TikTok as a way of, of gaining uh, esteem in the eyes of their peers. Um, and a 13-year-old girl doesn't fully recognize that many of those hundred thousand views are coming from men that she would be totally creeped out to be in the same room with, that that's not necessarily a good thing. That can lead to some very unwanted attention. And, you know, the New York Times had a big story recently about this girl who became a TikTok celebrity, and then a stalker showed, out, showed up at her home with a gun. And the father, who happened to have a gun, fired on the man. Uh, so it can get really scary, really creepy. Those stories make the news. Uh, but there's mm -hmm. many other stories that I hear about where this boy is now stalking this girl and following her. Yeah. And girls don't understand the dark side of presenting yourself sexually is you're going to, you're going to attract some really creepy guys at age 13. Do you really want to be doing that? Well, and they don't understand. They, I think parents were expecting our kids to understand this on such a deep level. And it's hard for us to even grasp. So how can we really like expect a 13 year old to understand even the nature of taking your clothes off? Like, like I can guarantee you, Dr. Sachs, uh, that everybody listening, who's a parent, um, today, would never think about, um, after we get off this podcast, taking their shirt off and taking a picture of their top and sending it out, right? We're all adults. We would never do that. So talk about what it is happening in their brain. They, they have uh, that black and white thinking. It's not, they, they can't play the tape ahead, right? It's hard for them to understand, well, if I do this, then this consequence is going to happen. And this is why they need parents. Well, it, exactly. It gets to the deeper question of what are parents for yeah. what is childhood for yes. uh, you know a four-year-old horse is a mature adult a four-year-old human has barely begun humans yes. are children and adolescents for more years than most animals live 
uh, it can't be about just biological maturity because a horse is a bigger animal than a human and it's fully mature at four years of age. The Kentucky Derby is raced with three-year-olds. Wow. Why are humans developing for 20, 25 years until the brain reaches for maturity. What's the point of that? Well, we don't have to guess. We have scholars like Dr. Melvin Connor at Emory who's devoted his career to looking at human development and comparing it to development in other animals. Why do we take so long? And the answer that he and other scholars have given is it takes that long because human culture is varied. And, and what it takes to be a successful adult in samurai Japan is immensely different from what it takes to be uh, a successful adult in Appenzell, Switzerland in, in 1900. It's it, not just the language, but the, the culture, how you interact with people, uh, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, radically different. Uh, it takes many years for the parents to teach the kids what they need to know. Girls and boys are not born knowing what it means to be ladies and gentlemen. They have to be taught. We no longer teach them. Instead, we allow them to be immersed in the culture of Cardi B and, and Miley Cyrus, uh, which is all about being sexual at 12 years of age with no recognition of how toxic that is for girls. So you have to step in. You have to connect your kid to a different culture, a healthier culture. You have to turn off the screen and engage your kid, do fun things. So instead of them looking at TikTok videos on a Saturday afternoon, they're going on a bike ride with you on right. a Saturday afternoon. The right. parent-child relationship needs to matter more than the relationship that kids have with other kids. Yeah. And back to just what you're, you're talking here about human development, the, the kick out there for parents is that they see their children becoming intelligent and book smart and they're getting smart and their grades are great. And they're equating that et- intelligence to maturity. And just because you're intelligent doesn't mean that you're mature. That is a big issue for parents. It's a blind spot, I guess, is what you would call it, or a bias. My kid's so smart. Why do they not know that this is inappropriate behavior? But there's a a bigger confusion going on, which again is a focus on my book, The Collapse of Parenting. Uh, You know, uh, 30 years ago, boys wanted to be men. Increasingly, we find today that men want to be boys. And we have fathers who, who on Saturday afternoon are playing, uh, Call of Duty Grand Theft Auto with their 12-year-old son. That's not what your boy needs. Incidentally, Mm -hmm. the 12-year-old is going to be more proficient at the game than his 40-year-old dad. And so son is teaching dad how to play the game. That's not what boys need. Again, the scholars of human childhood say that we are programmed. It's in our DNA. This long childhood and adolescence is for the child to learn from the parent. When you flip that upside down, and you have dad being taught by his 12-year-old how to play Call of Duty, you're profoundly undermining this 12-year-old's sense of what the world is about. And instead of him looking to his father for guidance about what it means to be a man, the 12-year-old is now teaching the father how to be a boy. Wow. That is so profound. (laughs) That is so true. Thank you so much for that. Talk about boys on TikTok. What are boys doing on TikTok? Okay, so 
boys are less likely to be spending their free time looking at TikTok because boys' favorite activity with their screens is video games. But a growing number of teen boys are getting sucked into that TikTok algorithm. And often that means they're seeing tech tech videos of young men who are bigger or more muscular than they are. And there's this whole new phenomenon that scholars are calling bigorexia, uh, boys becoming obsessed with uh, looking like The Rock or like, you know, some kind of uh, Marvel Universe He-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so that's a thing. Uh, yeah. uh, so, again, parents need to be in front of that. But uh, the evidence still suggests that boys are much more vulnerable to the addictive properties of video games uh, and are spending hours and hours uh, playing video games. Again, because video games are so well designed to give that boy that sense of mastery. Boys more than girls are motivated by what Frederick Nietzsche called the will to power, the desire to to win, uh, to be master of the universe. Yeah, and yeah. and video games like Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, totally get that. And if you put enough time into the game, you will win. You will be master of the universe. And if you have spent 40 hours mastering every mission in RDR2, and now you have won. For many boys, that's an immense feeling of accomplishment. And yeah, he may be funking out of Spanish. Who cares? He completed all the missions in RDR2. And that greatly raises his status in the eyes of his peers who are really impressed. The fact that he flunked out of Spanish, who cares? In equal and opposite direction, girls are really concerned about flunking out of Spanish. The video games have shifted what matters in the eyes of boys. What matters is your accomplishment in the virtual world of Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, RDR2. And what doesn't matter is the real world of school and academic achievement. Mm -hmm. And that really does matter to girls, uh, the real world of school and academic achievement. And let's, let's, as we pull in that topic, let's talk about the self-harm issues and the anorexia issues around TikTok and why girls are exploding with these problems today. Why, what is it about the TikTok? Because the boys, they are, you're right, they're getting in there and they're doing certain things in TikTok, but it seems like the self-harm, is is it heavily or is it more um, related to girls than boys? The- yes. Uh, so uh, girls now are at least four times more likely than boys to be engaging in non-suicidal self-injury, NSSI, which means kids cutting themselves with razor blades, burning themselves with matches. Uh, uh, just an explosion in girls over the last five years, which we have not seen at all with boys. Rates of non-suicidal self-injury among boys haven't changed much over the last five years where they're going straight up with girls. And why is this happening? Why would a girl at 12 years of age cut her upper inner thigh with a razor blade? Why is she doing this? She's learning about it on social media. She's learning about other girls who are anxious and her discovering that when you do this, the anxiety melts away. And we now have a very good understanding of what's going on. Girls who cut themselves repeatedly are releasing endorphins. They're getting a high and it is relaxing. It is relaxing instantly. That is when that girl touches the razor to her thigh, the anxiety vanishes in seconds. And it's a good feeling. Um, And again, my book, Girls on the Edge, the title has several meanings. One is Girls on the Edge of a Razor Blade. Why are we seeing this explosion Mm -hmm. of cutting among teenage girls? It's because the girls are so anxious. Uh, 
uh, and the cutting relieves the anxiety. Why aren't we seeing this among boys? Because boys are much less likely than their sisters to be anxious. Girls are spending their free time on social media, like TikTok and Instagram, which drives anxiety. Boys are spending their free time with video games, which doesn't drive anxiety. Uh, boys spending 20 hours a week playing Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, RDR2, he is not more likely to be anxious or depressed. He's having a great time. He's enjoying himself. Uh, he's he's totally disengaged and flunking out of school, but he doesn't care. <laughs> his parents are pulling out their hair, but he's having a great time. This 15-year-old boy in his, in his bedroom with his video games and his pornography, he's perfectly content. It's the parents who are, who are freaking out. Uh, so the anxiety is rising rapidly among girls, and the girls are figuring out, learning from Instagram and TikTok, that cutting relieves the anxiety instantly, which it does. Uh, and the boys have no very little interest in this because the boys are not anxious, not to the extent that their sisters are. And they're very happy uh, playing their uh, video games and looking at their porn. So if, if the girl is on social media, she gets more anxious, but then she has to stay on social media to relieve the anxiety by doing the self-harm activity. How does TikTok present that to her? If she clicks on something or you know she gets kind of caught, like you said in the beginning of the show, how you just spend a few seconds on a certain video, they're going to log that and remember that and start feeding you more of the same. So she's interested in self-harm because maybe she heard about this from a friend. So she clicks and, and does TikTok really have a lot of this content? Like does TikTok allow, does, does TikTok allow sexual content? Yeah, it, no. And they're try and they're trying TikTok in their defense. They are aware of this. And if you actually, so pro Anna, P R O A N A is a term, a hashtag uh, among teenagers referring to girls who regard anorexia as a great lifestyle. Uh, and, and, um, uh, are looking for videos of other girls who've lost a lot of weight and and who celebrate that that anorexic lifestyle. So TikTok has some uh, filters in place. And if you just enter Pro Anna, uh, you'll get a warning and a link to anorexia uh, counseling websites. Uh, but if you just uh, click on diet, or thin. Uh, diet yeah. is loud. And the, the TikTok hashtag, uh, uh, diet has had over 11 billion views. That's billion with a B. And there you'll get videos that say, hey, just do some planks and legless every day and you will become slim in 16 days. And I linked to one video on TikTok that's had 32 million views of this uh, teenage girl who claims that doing planks and leg lifts helped her to look like this. And she's fantastically thin. Uh, and I don't believe it at all, but that particular video has had over 32 million views. And so you can get drawn into this world of, oh, uh, I just need to try a little harder and I will be perfect. Uh, and I, I quote a dietitian at a residential treatment center for eating disorders who said the TikTok algorithm is just too freaking strong. Uh, and with a billion videos a day being watched, TikTok staff has no way of keeping up with this. Um, uh, so, yeah, they block the more obvious uh, sites uh, that that uh, directly promote anorexia. But for every one they block, there is 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 that they don't know about. The, 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 uh, 
algorithm is just too strong. Yeah, it's it's way too strong. And that's what parents need to understand that at the top of the iceberg, yes, there are these things that are, are good or are trying to do that are, you know, we're trying to solve some yeah. of the problems up there, but but it, it just takes one click and yeah. then you're you know, there used to be science fiction stories, uh, you know, going back to 2001, A Space Odyssey, of uh, the artificial intelligence that was malignant, uh, that was uh, going to do harm to humans. Uh, we're there, okay? It's, it's not science fiction anymore. It's happening right now. TikTok is the artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. intelligence algorithm that is harmful, that is toxic, and parents don't get it. Wow. Well, as, as we've, gosh, our time is flying. We've got to get to a close here, but before we do, I want you to talk about the, um, uh, thing that you were talking about, the Tourette syndrome in your paper that you wrote. And again, this is called is TikTok dangerous for teens is the name of the article that you wrote in, um, March, um, just March 29. And just touch on this a second. This is fascinating. Sure. Yeah. So uh, just in the last uh, year and a half, really, psychiatrists around the world, from uh, the, the South Pacific to England, all across North America, are seeing this explosion of girls who are saying, oh, guess what? I have Tourette's syndrome. And these girls are shouting out the word beans at unpredictable interval. And, and psychiatrists are calling these girls Evies because Evie Megfield is a TikTok video She's got 14 million followers, 500 million likes on TikTok, where she shouts out beans uncontrollably. And we now have literally tens of thousands of girls worldwide who are all of a sudden saying, I have, I have Tourette's. So they're shouting out beans following Evie Megfield. And, and uh, you know, we used to use the term mass hysteria uh, when, when a whole bunch of girls would, would uh, follow the lemmings over the cliff. Today, there is an official term for this. There's studies on this already published. It's called social media induced illness, where these girls look like they really have Tourette syndrome and, and they present and they're shouting out beans, but they never had Tourette syndrome until they went on TikTok and started watching Evie Field. Um, it leads you down this rabbit hole of what what's cool and what's not. And, and people are very offended. They're like, well, you're saying Tourette isn't real. Tourette is real, but so is suggestibility. And it has always been the case that girls can be suggestible going back to the Salem, uh, witch, uh, uh, hunt. Um, and it manifests differently in every era. And the, uh, TikTok algorithm has weaponized this characteristic of girls against themselves. Uh, so uh, whether it's anorexia or Tourette, uh, we've got more and more girls who are really being harmed by this. Mm-hmm. And as psychiatrists sometimes are having to say, you need to turn off the screen. Yeah. It's really hurting your daughter. Well, and that's where ScreenStrong comes in. We really help parents get, you know, information and help on how to do that because it's not as hard as you think. And just for these things you're just talking about with these acquired type of mental health issues, you know, we wonder how many of them are resolved on their own when you take the screens away, you hit the pause button, you you start to delay this and you give your child a 
chance to breathe and just to get back to normal and recalibrate and reset their brain around the normal, natural world out there so they're not so hyper-stimulated. And as we start to wrap up, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to put you on the spot here a minute. And I want to, I want you to um, just imagine we've, we've got this huge audience listening to us of parents that are now at the point of this show, even thinking, oh my goodness, all these things about TikTok. I had no idea this was happening, but this makes so much sense because this is what's happening to my kids and my daughter and this and that. And they're, let, let's just pretend that you've got uh, a parent, a set of parents sitting in your office right now. And they say, Dr. Sachs, we just listened to this podcast and we are so convicted over this and we have got to do something, but you don't understand. Our daughter is on this five hours a day. If I take this away from her, I, I, I don't know what to tell her. Tell me, how do I step it down? How do I, how do I act as a parent now? What can I do? I know I've made some mistakes, what can I do? Is it possible for us to get back to normal in our life? So my advice to that parent is you've got to do this cold turkey. Tapering does not work. You sit down with your daughter and you say, uh, there's going to be some big changes here. Uh, we're going to limit uh, what you can do with your phone. Uh, we're putting an app on that will block access to TikTok. No more TikTok. No more than uh, 30 minutes a day on the phone, no more phone in the bedroom. And absolutely, uh, if your kid's been doing hours a day on TikTok, there will be an explosion. And the older the child, the louder and longer the explosion. But if both parents stand their ground after six weeks, not after one week, mm -hmm. after one week, it's still going to be tough, silent treatment, angry. After six weeks, you will have a child who is detoxed and a child who is healthier and happier as a mm -hmm. result. But both parents have to stand their ground and you have to realize it's going to be a long six weeks. The first mm -hmm. week or two is going to be very difficult. You're going to have your daughter saying very cruel things. Your daughter may say, as one mom told me, her daughter said to, me, to her, her daughter said, I hate you. You are totally ruining my whole life. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. You have to stand your ground. Your, your job is not for your kid to say, I love you. Your job is not to help your kid just to be happy. Your job is to help your child to fulfill their potential. And social media is robbing kids of their potential and distorting and perverting who they are. Only the parent can step in and fix that. That's your job to help mm -hmm. your child to fulfill their potential, to become the woman or man they were meant to be. The culture is toxic. The social media is really harmful. You've got to step in and make the difference. But Dr. Sachs, they won't have any friends if I do this. <laughs> yes, I hear that as well. And uh, again, a major focus of my book, The Collapse of Parenting, is a close look at the data. So what we now know is that the most popular American kid at 14 years of age, the kid who is most popular, is a kid five years down the road, the one who is most likely to be addicted to drugs and alcohol. Uh, this was not true 30 years ago. 30 years ago, being popular was not a predictor of toxicity. Today it is, and that's changed because the culture has changed. The culture is now a toxic culture. You don't want your kid to be the most popular kid. Being the most popular kid is not a good thing. Uh, 
that what matters more is the quality of the relationship your kid has with the parent. The parent-child relationship should be the relationship your kid values most. And that is as true for the 15-year-old as it is for the 6-year-old. And again, a lot of American parents don't get that. I devote two chapters of my book, The Collapse of Parenting, to presenting the evidence. And we have a lot of evidence that supports that statement, that the parent-child relationship needs to matter more to the teenager than the relationship with other teens. Because teen relationships, same-age relationships among teens, are fragile. They can change overnight. That girl's popular. She may go from being the most popular girl to being the odd girl out in one day. Mm-hmm. And if what matters most to you is what the other girls think of you, you're going to be anxious because you know that can change overnight. Uh, but if what matters most to you is what your parents think of you, then you can relax because a good parent will always love their child and their child knows it. They know that no matter what, my mom wants what is best for me. My mom is on my side. Uh, so the parent-child relationships has to be primary. And that means you have to take time to do fun things with your kid, to go on a bike ride, to go to a show, uh, to do fun things together with you and your kid. Uh, that's how you begin to uh, prioritize the parent-child relationship. And that's what our whole parent course is about. We have the education piece and the science piece in the first part. And then the second piece is how you do this. And so we believe that you have to get a community uh, of like-minded parents, even if you can just find one other family. Talk to that. Talk about that just for a second. Well, it's a lot easier if you can find that family. It certainly helps a lot if you can find a school uh, that's supportive. Mm -hmm. So our daughter... uh, was at a school where all the other kids were on their phones. And in Caroline, all the other kids were looking at their phones. My daughter, who didn't have a smartphone, was the only one uh, who's not looking at a phone. And, you know, she was very brave and she was like, it's fine, it's fine. But it's, it's not fair to your child to be the only one who's not on a screen. So we moved her to a different school where they don't allow phones, where there are no phones. Uh, the, the kids don't are not on a phone in Caroline, uh, and it was a very good uh, move, and we're very happy. She's finishing her second year at that school that doesn't allow phones, and, I, and so you need to find a community of parents who share your values. In some places, that's hard to do, but if you can find other parents, or as you said, even just one other family mm-hmm. that you can hang with uh, and get together with, no phones. Uh, that makes your job easier. And you can find those communities through Screen Strong. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help parents find each other. We're trying to give them the tools to do that so they are not feeling alone because that is the number one pain that parents feel that they are all of a sudden alone and isolated in this decision. I want everybody listening today to hear Dr. Sachs, and to listen to what he's saying about trusting your gut on this and understanding that you are your child's best advocate and you are not alone. There are so many parents that are getting so fed up with the so what social media has done to their kids and to their families. So let's wrap up now and just throw in a few tips here 
I love Dr. Sachs that you said to go cold turkey. I totally support that. And the work that I've done with families, I can tell you hands down, that is the only way to do this. It's very hard to moderate a toxic addictive screen. It's much easier to get your child off hundred percent, get them recalibrated. And then at that point, you can decide what you want to do at that point. But until you get them completely off, it's just like trying to go on a diet when you have donuts on the kitchen counter every day. And a few other concrete tips before I say goodbye. Uh, no screens in the bedroom, no screens of any type in the bedroom, no laptop in the bedroom, no video game console in the bed bedroom. Uh, We've got so much evidence that even the presence of a screen in the bedroom, even if the device is turned off, impairs the quantity and quality of sleep that kids are getting. Sleep Kids are sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a concrete mm -hmm. tip. Another concrete tip, no earbuds in the car. When you're mm -hmm. in the car with your kid, you should be listening to her, to her and she should be listening to you, not to Miley Cyrus or to Cardi B. No screen, no earbuds in the car. And have plenty of conversations with your kids, but don't depend on those conversations um, to do exactly what you want them to do. Or as I say in the collapse of parenting, explain, but don't negotiate. So mm. your kid may say, well, why? Everyone else is on TikTok. You can explain, but don't negotiate. Mm. You have to have the authority of a parent. And swap screen time for healthy hobbies and outside time and fun. Like you said that a yep. number of times today, yep. just having fun with your kids again. And believe it or not, Dr. Sachs, there's so many people out there that email me and say, how do I do that? I don't like, I don't even like my kids right now. How can I have fun with them? So we have a lot of ideas for this in our course. And I'm not just trying to promote the heck out of this course, but let me tell you, I've taken everything that we've learned from people like Dr. Sachs and the other experts. And just from our experience, we've put it all together under this roof here so we can share it with you in a real efficient way. The final tip really to me is just this tip of delay. You will never regret it. Say yes to life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to getting out there. A parent can't just say no. You have to offer something sure. better. And you have better things to offer. Take your kid outdoors. Teach your kid what you know about skeet shooting or hiking or biking or uh, rafting or whatever it is that you know. The, the human DNA is designed for the grown-ups to teach the kids, not the other way around. If you're a man, teach your boy to be a man. Don't try and be a boy. You have just helped this movement in so many ways. And as we wrap one last thing, just, and we, you've already given us so much encouragement, but for just, just, just want you to picture that you're in an audience, Dr. Sachs, you've got 500 people in the room or a thousand people in the room, and they are looking for one final word of encouragement from you. They are so discouraged and yet they have been empowered by your message today as they're getting ready to leave. What word of encouragement can you give them? Have courage. Don't be the cool parent. Have the courage to do the right thing for your kid. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for all of your help and for your words of wisdom today. Thank you. Thank you again for inviting me. 
I hope you all enjoyed this show today as much as I have. I love talking with Dr. Sachs. He offers so many nuggets. We're going to go back and find tons of nuggets that we're going to continue to share with everyone at Screen Strong. Teens, remember, teens don't need social media. It is not mandatory for childhood. When it begins to take more than it gives, it's time for a change. And if you need help making that change, you can look at our Screen Strong course. It is an excellent way for you to, to not only get more education, to be, but to get more courage, just like Dr. Sachs is talking about. So start planning a small group right now in your home, in your church, in your school, in your Girl Scout group, your Boy Scout group. Just plan to get some parents together and have a discussion group around this because it's only in the small groups that you're going to be able to make changes and make it a priority to find one or two families that can do this with you, that can be friends to your children while y'all are pulling away from the toxic screens that are in their life. We do have a 30-day detox connected to that course. So that's some real practical tips to help you get your kids back. And don't forget to join our mailing list so you will not be left out with our monthly updates. So what's your homework today? Is Your homework is to share this podcast with as many friends as you can. I think that Dr. Sachs did such an amazing job of saying so much in such a short period of time. And this is life-changing stuff. We need to share it and we need your help. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong.